Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I'm passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. Ah, these are some of my all-time favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, I am joined once again by Dr. Drew Longacre to discuss his course that was recently released in the always growing collection of courses at IBC. Here on the podcast, we can't go through all the gems of Dr. Longacre's class, but he does cover all the different types of psalms included in the Psalter. This includes personal laments, communal laments, songs of praise, and royal psalms. But I thought we could take a moment to talk about imprecatory psalms because they make people squirm. So I started the conversation today by asking Dr. Longacre, what exactly is an imprecatory psalm? Basically, yeah, it's a it's a cursing psalm. You're calling judgment down on your enemies. You want something bad to happen to your enemies so that good happens to you. And yeah, that's a real challenge for a lot of people. It kind of comes from these lament psalms, these complaining psalms, which is in itself a a challenge. Like, should believers be complaining about our situation instead of, you know, do all things without grumbling and complaining? You know, it's, it's one thing to say that, but then within the Bible itself, we have lots of these laments. The laments, I think, are really critical in general for believers to understand that the scriptures encompass the entirety of human experience and not just kind of the happy clappy stuff. Um, And God is open to hearing lament and that is modeled in the Psalms. Uh, So I think that's a big starting point that we need to kind of realize and embrace. And what you find is imprecatory Psalms are an even greater challenge within that subset of these lament psalms so the lament psalms are not just complaining they're also prayers they're calling god to action on our behalf and the imprecatory psalms do that too except that it's calling judgment on enemies and that that really stands in tension with a lot of the moral teachings that we read let's say in the new testament and also you know for things in the old testament as well you you can find examples where that seems problematic. Bless and do not curse. Do not return evil for evil. There are all these kinds of themes. And yet within the Bible, you do it. You see Jesus doing it. You see Paul doing it. You see Peter doing it. You see the saints in Revelation under the throne who have been persecuted and they're, they're killed. And what are they praying? They're praying, God, why are you waiting? Why don't you come down and seek vengeance on all these evil people? And I mean, we're not going to say that these guys are in sin. They're literally standing before God in a, a perfected form. There's something valid there, even though it seems in tension with the principle. So trying to figure out what exactly, how exactly that can work is uh, a challenge. And it requires a lot of careful thought. 
Yeah, it does. I have been in conversation with different pastors who have asked me my opinion on, I think, Psalm 137 in particular, because it starts with lament. I mean, it's exiles who are out near the rivers of Babylon, and they don't mind teaching that part <laughs> and uh, teaching the part of, like, bring us back to Jerusalem. But they want to cut off the whole second half of that psalm, because that's the one where we go, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundations. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. And that's the end of the song. And it's uncomfortable. Uh, it doesn't end on a happy clappy note, does it? Right, right. But I think it's really only a problem for us where life is going fine and things are fine and we're in our homes and we have our jobs and you know, we're attending the synagogue or we're going to church. Then it's uncomfortable. But for the people who are in that kind of situation, that's a real felt emotion. And I don't know, there is something amazing that there's language here for you to use if you're in that kind of situation. And instead of just bursting in rage in your normal life, you can burst in rage to the God of the universe. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a safer space than <laughs> attacking your husband or your kids or something like that with an imprecatory psalm. Um, praying to God, I think there's a lot more freedom because God can handle a lot more than uh, maybe other people can. No, that's it's a really good point. I think there's there's truth to that, that it makes us uncomfortable a lot because of our experience. We are in a pretty comfortable area when the biggest enemy you have is your husband who forgot to take out the trash or your uh, wife who won't let you play computer games on a weekend you know the, if these are the kind of issues you're encountering you're probably not going to have a lot of good justification for you know condemning them to death and hell right but if you are in a world that's really it's a lot more brutal and there is death and violence and there is war. You know, I'm thinking about we have, you know, the situation right now in the Ukraine, for instance. When you are in that kind of situation, things just look different. You're not just always going around clapping, being friendly with your enemy. There's a real enemy and there's real fighting and there's real death and there's real collateral damage and it's unavoidable. And it's a nasty world. And I think we live in a very sentimental society right now. So it's easy for us to take the happy clappy stuff, love your enemies as literal and also absolute and miss the complexities of the world. And the Psalms don't do that. The Psalms dwell in those complexities and those emotions. And there, there are some, so C.S. Lewis is a good example, who would say that it's morally incompatible with the teachings of Christ about this kind of stuff. But when I read the New Testament, I just don't see that. I, I see the apostles having a very similar kind of idea. I see Jesus, you know, pronouncing woes on the Pharisees. I think it comes down to that sentimentality. 
if we recognize that there is real evil in this world, this world is messy, that evil is a bad thing and it deserves to be punished. And the the vanquishment of evil is actually a good thing, then I think it helps to make sense of a lot of these things. God does curse people in the Bible, in the world around us. And if we're called to be like God, I think there there may be ways in which we can emulate that. Not because we're taking vengeance on our personal enemies, because someone has annoyed us, someone has bothered us. But in real life, there are enemies, whether it's in warfare, whether it's people who with their words and actions are maliciously attacking and intentionally trying to destroy God's people, there is room to call out to God to act. And we we leave room for him to decide how he wants to do it, because ultimately he's going to make a lot better choice than us. And he may choose to come in judgment. He may choose to come with salvation and deliverance and restoration. Uh, and he knows best in those kind of situations. But the idea that believers should be allowed to and are called to call out to God, to lament our situation and to call God to act is a good thing. And when God comes to act to defend his people, whether we like it or not, often the consequence of that is evil is punished. Evil causes suffering for the people who do it, but also there's this collateral damage that happens when there's warfare. It's not just the guilty who are involved, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a good distinction that you make, that there's um, a way, the Bible is allowing a way and even calling for people to call forth this kind of judgment upon evil. But in all the imprecatory Psalms, it is still leaving it at the hand of God. And it's not saying, oh, the Bible is giving us permission to be this violent against other people. It's you can call out that emotion and you can call God to task, but then you let God do it in his timing and his way. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's right. And, be, and you see examples where it's abused, even within the Bible, you see James and John, they go up to a, a Samaritan village and say, God, should we, uh, Jesus, should we um, wipe this out? Should we call down heaven and just wipe out these Samaritans? Jesus like, guys, no. You're missing the point. Now is not the time for judgment. Now is the time for salvation. You've you've done it wrong. And for me, that's a cautionary tale. When you think of imprecatory psalms, I do think there is a very real dynamic in which this is a viable option for Christians to think about and calling God to act. And yet at the same time, you really have to check your heart that what you're really interested in is God's righteousness and justice in this world and not just kind of you know your own personal preferences and security i think you get it gets really risky when you start making it personal and in the psalms i think that's important to recognize many of these they're not they sound personal but they're not exactly just kind of personal in the same sense that we might pray them often these are speaking in national terms. It's talking about, you know, the entire country rather than just somebody who annoyed me or somebody who's a personal enemy. And when it is personal enemies, oftentimes I think these Psalms would have been performed by the king on behalf of the nation. So the king's personal enemies are also political enemies. There's much more going on than just kind of personal interactions and personal conflicts. So we have to be careful uh, about that, thinking in bigger terms of cosmic right and wrong. And I think it's very good 
to pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. When God's kingdom comes, you read at the end of Revelation, it's not going to be pretty for everybody. Those who don't want his kingdom, those who aren't going to submit to his kingdom, it's not going to look pretty, but it's still good. Dr. Longacre not only has this great course with IBC called Psalms, a songbook for the ages, but he is also working with Cambridge Digital Bible Research as a visual exegete. I had no idea that this entire program and tool existed until Dr. Longacre told me about it, and I have spent some time poking around. I really wanted him to explain it to all of you. It is such a cool project that brings together Bible translators with scholars and people who work with technology and artists. So I asked Dr. Longacre to introduce you to this project and explain how it might be helpful for you to use. Yeah, I mean, the goal is to bring all of these expertise, these specializations, these people who are um, really skilled in various aspects of the study of the Psalms and in presenting the Psalms, to take that and to make a useful resource for Bible translators so that the Psalms can be more adequately uh, translated and appreciated around the world, whether it's in English or in other minority languages. So one of the problems is the the Psalms really are difficult, right? Everyone loves the Psalms. In Jewish and Christian tradition, these are one of the most popular things. I mean, we have thousands of manuscripts of the Psalms from the antiquity and the medieval, uh, Middle Ages, they really are popular. They're really important. They give expression to who we are. They've formed an essential part of Jewish and Christian worship throughout the centuries. So everybody wants the Psalms. Everybody just kind of instinctively knows the Psalms are critical. Maybe you get the Gospels. And the next thing, you want the Psalms. And yet nobody knows what to do with the Psalms because they're just so hard. Many translation teams don't really have a strong background in Hebrew, and even the experts in Hebrew struggle to read the Psalms for many reasons. You know, they because they're structured poetically, the syntax is often weird and unexpected and hard. The word choice is unusual. Um, there are a lot of images and metaphors, um, all these kind of things they make the poetry a lot harder to read. And it was harder for ancient scribes as well. So when scribes were copying it, they didn't always understand what they were reading. And sometimes they made mistakes as well. So then as modern scholars, we're trying to sort out, like, if this text is really hard to understand, is it hard to understand because I just don't understand the Hebrew well enough? Or did a scribe maybe make a mistake and that created the problem? So Trying to sort through all these complex issues for the Psalms is so much harder than for most other books that most translators really don't know where to start. They kind of are left with, well, let's just trust the English translations and just copy them. But the English translations are working through a lot of these same challenges um, and have a lot of the same problems. And there's a lot of ambiguities so the resources that translators have are really insufficient for the Psalms. They do have like a handbook and it, it has some help on these kind of things. But what's going on is so complex, it needed a lot more. So that's where uh, CDBR comes in, trying to provide 
a full analysis of these psalms from various layers of um, analysis. So looking at the grammar, looking at the meaning of the words, looking at the participants, like what people and what um, entities are involved throughout the psalm and how that affects it. Uh, what speech acts are there? So when you say something, you're often not just stating a truth claim, you're trying to produce some sort of action or response with your words. And this needs to come across somehow in the translation, uh, studying the poetics and how that affects the structure of the psalm. So basically with CDBR, we go layer by layer, the Psalms Project is called, where each of these levels of analysis are done separately and then brought together into a synthesis. And all of that information stays kind of under the hood. It's available and accessible for those who have the expertise to use it. Uh, but then for translators and just lay users, so for instance, your, your readers, if they're not really experts in Hebrew translation, for instance, they can look at the synthesis and the overviews that takes all that and pulls it together and tries to elucidate the structure of the psalm, the key poetic movements, the meaning of the psalms, these kinds of things in a way that uh, very simply lays out what's going on in the psalm. What do translators need to know? What kind of background cultural assumptions are necessary for understanding the psalm? And yeah, so you've got the simple overview presentation stuff and you've got notes for translators but you've also got a lot of analysis under the hood that kind of builds that up. So translators and the consultants have access to that. And it's an open resource. I mean, this is, and as I've been poking around on the website, I just think, wow, there's obviously so much work has gone into, you know, when things are, are simple and communicated in a very clear way, you tend to forget you only got to that presentation with hundreds of hours of preparation. And that was the first thing I thought. And then I thought, and there's no, there's no paywall. They're just letting this be open to everyone. It is a remarkable tool. It's a remarkable tool. And really, I think um, harnessing the technological advances that we have in our modern day age too, to visually tell you the story as well, which is super helpful for where you're at in the analysis of the psalm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the analysis that goes into these is really deep. Basically, it takes about three months for someone working maybe half time at least um, to study each of these layers and pull it together and get things done, get the analysis done. And then there's also this video production team, which takes that and produces scripts for these overviews and nice imagery to help people visualize. So it's a long process. And yeah, it's the goal to have these things publicly available. We want it to be used. We're not doing it just to, you know, earn some royalties or something. We're trying to provide a useful service for the Bible translation community, but anybody who's interested in the Psalms can access these overviews for sure. Well, it's a cool project and I'll put a link in the episode notes of the show so people can, can follow. So thank you. I mean, thank you for your time, but thank you for both of these projects, the course that you did for IBC, it's fairly newly released. So if people haven't taken it yet, I'd highly recommend that they start 
going through it's it's this worshipful academic and beautiful experience all at once which is really kind of nice um, and then also explore what's going on with the cambridge digital bible research so thank you for your efforts in both of those thank you for having me If you are a student of IBC and would like to dive into this course, you will find a direct link to it in the episode notes. And if you have not yet connected to the vast number of courses and roundtable talks with experts in their fields, consider joining our growing international group of students. From the comfort of your own home and at your own pace, you can take classes and within a year, earn a certificate in Jewish context and culture. Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music is responsible for the editing, mixing, and adding in all the good music. Thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible-related. 